welcome back to another episode of Over the Glass. I am your host, Jay. I'm co-host Nessa. Sorry we skipped the week. I had to help my girlfriend move out. She's officially moved out. I'm so sad. <laughs> She's womp, in LA. Womp. Oh, so alone. <sighs> Anyways, so we wanted to start off this week by talking about the three the first three draft picks of this past draft because they had an interesting preseason well they had an interesting week in the preseason starting with bedard and i know you want to talk about him first um yeah well bedard got a a welcome from flurry the (laughs) minnesota wild and the chicago team went into shootout in one of their preseason games. And I remember seeing something prior to the game where reporters were asking Flurry about like, oh, are you looking forward to, you know, uh, going up against Bedard or just like his opinions of it. And, you know, he seemed in good spirits, you know. He obviously knows that this is like the generational talent that's up and coming in in the NHL and you know but he didn't really have too much else to say well you know enter the shootout and Flurry looks like he's in game seven of a Stanley Cup (laughs) playoffs just kind of totally locked in and and not allowing anybody to get past him um but, and tripping them all over the place. Yeah. So Bedard, you know, with his with his hands and everything, looked like he was trying to, you know, out dangle Flurry and Flurry, you know, being a, a former first round pick for almost like twenty years ago. Like he's been in this game for a while. He's seen a lot of things, and he just looked like he wasn't interested in in these games that Bernard was coming with he's just like this child look at this child (laughs) and he did go for the poke check which is pretty you know typical of a flurry he's he's very active with his stick he did miss so then Bernard you know dangled around the stick and looked like he was trying to get control of it to go uh, backhand, but then Flurry reached out and I don't think he would have been able to do it anyway because he looked off balance and, and all that stuff. But uh, Flurry um, reached out and, and ended up tripping Bedard and he went flying and just kind of sat there looking like <laughs> he he had to go to his room with no dinner and and Flurry skated by, gave him a little stick. T- um, stick tap on his on his shin pad and skated away um i just thought it was just kind of amusing obviously he's gonna be really good but you know flurry's trying to trying to level him out a little bit with you know not getting (laughs) too yeah not getting too over the top yeah well okay so i think it's interesting how much hype this kid is getting because obviously he killed it in juniors everyone has really high expectations of the poor kid um, and this, I feel like this got talked about and blown out of proportion just because, oh, he didn't score. Oh, welcome to the NHL, bud. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find it interesting too, that I see a lot of people hating on him already. Like it's his fault that the media is giving him so much attention. You know, it's like, he's just trying to come into this league and do his thing. It's not like he asked for this attention. You don't have to hate him yet. He hasn't started playing games yet. Uh, but I don't know. Flurry 
Flurry's always been an interesting goalie. I had a very big um, hatred for him when he was on Vegas because he just he refuses to let those pucks go in, mm-hmm. and it's preseason. Like you don't have to take it so seriously. I like so I'm currently watching the one with um, Hall. And he literally, like, swipes his leg and has him go flying into the board. I think Hall's was way more hilarious, just, like, the air time <laughs> that he got. Um, you know, obviously, everyone looks like they're okay and stuff like that, so we can laugh about it. But, you know, um, what was it that... Yeah, so going back to what you were talking about, where you had a hatred for him with when he was on Vegas. So, yeah, like, that was an experience that I did not expect to have because um, you know I was following him when he was on the Pittsburgh Penguins and like he's a very talented goaltender you know obviously has what is it three Stanley Cups to to back up you know for his mm-hmm. resume and um, he what is it prior to that draft was kind of like one of his down seasons that was when um, Matt Murray kind of took over um, mm-hmm. the crease. And I think, you know, he, he had a bit of a surge when they went into the cup finals and things like that. But um, I remember since the draft was coming up, the expansion draft was coming up for for um, for the Golden Knights, he had actually, you know, spoken with management and, and um, let them know that he's okay if, if you guys want to put him you know, on the list. And so obviously, you know, Vegas took him and, you know, during his time there, you know, he, he became, you know, a fan favorite. And, you know, I want to say is definitely one of the reasons why they, they got as far as they did. Um, But of course, with that said, as somebody who was a fan of him prior to going to Vegas and, you know, I felt like, oh, what a selfless move to, you know, say, hey guys, like it's been great, you know, to help this this team in Pittsburgh. And, you know, I can kind of see that, you know, maybe my time is kind of running out here or maybe he's kind of seeing it as like, you know, I'm passing the torch to, to Matt Murray and things like that. So, you know, all good things until he gets to Vegas and then they have, you know, their inaugural season and everybody knows what what happened then and um, what I still feel like is a fabricated rivalry between Vegas and and San Jose. (laughs) We all know the true rivalry is NorCal versus SoCal. Um, So for those first, you know, what is he was with the team for three seasons, two seasons? I can't remember anymore. Um, uh, how it's, long has the team been, been around? A minute. Six? It's been I think a minute. It's been a minute since three, he's been three, right? Three or four. I want to say it's at least two. <laughs> Feels more like three, but who knows anymore? But in any case, during that time, yeah, like the my feelings towards Flurry definitely shift. I definitely started getting mad at him when he's he gets a bit snippy in the crease he he does a little like he does some things where he knows no one's looking and he kind of like bends the rules and things like that so those were the things that were starting to stick out to me a lot and i was just like not a fan of him during that time and so um i think it's still messed up what vegas did to move on from him 
But with that said, it was well. The year after that, he was on he was on the Chicago team, so that didn't make it any better. But um, but then he went over what to the Wild, and that's where he is now. And I'm like, thank God, you are not on the Chicago team or Vegas anymore. So I can admire Flurry again. And what is it? Last season, he had that thing with I don't remember who it was anymore that provoked the the Talbot? fight. Oh, what fight? No, it was another... Oh, it was Bennington. Duh. Of course, oh. it's Bennington. <laughs> Bennington was, like, egging Flurry to come over. And, like, Flurry, I think he got... He had went to the to the center ice to kind of be like, well, everybody's getting into it, so maybe I should come over. And I think Bennington was the one who was, like, in this scrum just being Bennington. And I think he acknowledged that Flurry was there, and he's just like, you... You whatever and he's just like okay coming over <laughs> and he's just you know he's being silly about it it's not like he's you know I didn't I didn't think that he was angry but more just like I need to get in there I need to you know help my guys out and whatever and then the refs saw that Flurry was coming over and they're like oh no no no, no. we can't have this and Flurry's like no let me he wants to fight he wants to fight let me go fight <laughs> And they're like, no, 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 no. He's like, okay, well, at least let me get my helmet. At least get, <laughs> let me get my stuff. And then I'm just like, he's lying. <laughs> he's, you're going to let him go and he's going to go jump Bennington. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, when he was on Vegas, I remember a game against the Sharks. Uh, well, a few games. And going back to what you had said about certain things that he does when no one's looking, there was like a scrum near the net and there was like this whole thing, I think... I think Burns got lost his stick at some point and Flurry picked it up and put it through the camera hole and gave it to a fan and so Burns was looking for his stick and it's like why <laughs> like when you're when you're a Sharks fan and you see that you you get irritated by it right but if you're on Vegas side you you're, you're going to find that amusing you're going to become a bigger fan of him and he would always do these like shit-stirring things you know and it's it's I just it was so like annoying He's a prankster, which I can appreciate, but someone like a Corey Perry, mm. huge reason why I, I couldn't stand the Ducks on on top of just rivalry. Um, yeah, just, just the whole rivalry aspect of it, because I remember, I don't remember who it was that he was doing this against, but somebody had dropped their stick or something like that and he went to go pick it up and then like hand it to them and when they went to go grab it he dropped it and i'm just like you're such a jerk you're just a jerk okay like um one other highlight that i saw about flurry recently because everyone started reposting things related to flurry was um Something got heated during a game last season against the Oilers and Flurry's helmet, I think, had come off or whatever, and it was, like, down near, like, the, the left side uh, face-off dot. So he went to go grab it, and then Leon Dreisaitl was skating over, and he kicked it. <laughs> and then Flurry grabbed uh, Drysaddle and everyone was already kind of like piling in on him so he grabbed his helmet and then like tossed it over <laughs> can't let it go oh. it's just children Anyways. in a playground yeah um, speaking of children back to the um, 
the draft picks dudes do you want to talk about the fentilly okay pretty amused by it (laughs) (laughs) at least it was a good hit at least there wasn't any like head contact it wasn't like dirty in any case it was just oh she saw the opportunity fentilly you know getting introduced to this league and everything like that like the kid was like oh, go get the puck now <laughs> like do 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 go get the puck does something with it turns around and there's like a two second moment where he's just like oh, oh deer in the headlights <laughs> <laughs> oh and he's just like oh <laughs> and then yeah tj oshi just like putted him yeah and another he's just like what Another welcome. <laughs> His stick went flying. It's, it's so cartoonish. Like it's just another welcome to the NHL moment. Mm-hmm. Sorry, sorry for this, but welcome, kid. <laughs> Big old shoulder bump. Um, the one that isn't as fun and lighthearted is uh, Leo Carlson. Uh, apparently during practice the other day was had to be helped off the ice and couldn't put pressure on his uh, right foot, so. Unfortunately, yes, that's also part of the game. But you know, this is this is a kid that the Anaheim fans have, were excited to root for this season. I haven't heard any updates on him. I haven't seen any. Uh, hopefully, he's okay and won't be out for too long. But it's just interesting. I did. I did see an update that I don't know what type of injury it is, but um, the update is that it isn't as bad as they thought. It okay. could be. Yeah, so uh-huh. that's that's as much as I know. Good. Good. Because it's like Anaheim was dead last in the standings last year. You know, they've been they've been in a similar situation as the Sharks fans. They don't have a lot to root for. So it it would it would suck that one of the things that they were excited to to be for this season is you know, out of the question. <laughs> well, we don't know if he's out for the season. No, no, no. I didn't say out for the season. I said okay. he's one reason they have to roof for in the season. Hmm. Yes. Me. Okay, and now to talk about our dear little sharks. <laughs> and all of the projections that amused you this week. Um, so I'm not sure who the original, where this graphic came from. So there's a graphic that was circulating this week um, related to each NHL team's biggest question mark heading into, you know, the next season. And, you know, there are some that, you know, make sense. Um, the, the Chicago team, obviously, last season, they got rid of a ton of their depth. And um, really the only notable veterans that stuck around as well they signed seth jones the year before that to a massive contract so you know he wasn't going anywhere um and then you know the the notable um superstars on that team being patrick kane and Taves. what's his first name Taze? What's this? What's the other Taze's first name? The other one is Devon. The the other one that obviously I don't care about because I can't remember his first name. 
Oh, the, the the Chicago one? Oh, my God. What is his name? <laughs> what is his name? I only know Devon Taves. He's the only one that matters. Oh, Jonathan. Well, oh, yeah. If you were ever questioning how much we do not care about the Chicago team on this podcast, there you go. So, Jonathan Taves, who was actually taking a year off, but, you know, good for him, all things considered. Um yeah, so, you know, they kind of just imploded their team into the sun, um, denied forever that they were tanking. They were tanking. Um, and so their biggest question, obviously, kind of similar to probably where the Oilers were when they got Connor McDavid, like, and where they currently are to this day. They are constantly trying to build around their first overall pick, which is essentially what Chicago is going to have to do. They're going to have to find the support for Bedard because, I mean, yes, there's there's valid hype around Bedard, but a lot of the highlights that I was seeing during the preseason, he didn't even score. So it's kind of he scored like, an empty net goal. Don't. <laughs> Whoa! Yes. <laughs> He wasn't even um, excited for it. So, you know, it's like, yes, he's got amazing hands. He's he obviously his hockey IQ is the ceiling is very high. So it's nice to look at during highlights, but at the end of the day, like the points on the scoreboard are the ones that count the most, right? And if you in the first couple of years, yeah, it's gonna be fun to to watch him, but when it goes nowhere, you know, how how happy are people going to be if he's not getting the, the help that he needs, um, not only on his line, but across the board? Because as we see with the Oilers, yeah, when we, when McDavid's on the ice, the, the probability that a goal is going to be scored is exponentially higher. And I think for, like, I don't remember – if it was done this season, but I remember last season, he was on, like, both power play units. Really? Yes. Oh so it's like, you're obviously using him for, like, as much ice time as he can handle, but that in itself is a bit of a problem, is it not? Especially since you still cannot make it to the cup final. So, I mean, that in itself makes sense. Like, Chicago's going to find themselves in that situation where... Great that you have Bedard, but it's just one guy. This is a team sport. If he played tennis, I'm sure he'd be fine. <laughs> you know? Um, what were some ones that suck out to you before we get to the one that made us laugh the most? <laughs> Honestly, I didn't pay too much attention to the other ones. Because <laughs> it's like, they, it's all logical, right? It says Anaheim special teams, Preds uh, offense. A lot of them have goaltending as their their weak spots. Depth for the Avs, um, you know, health. But then it's like you get to the Sharks, it just says everything. <laughs> like, haters, <laughs> but it's true. Like we don't know what this team is gonna be capable of because it's such a medley of different like new players on the team. Like the ones who have. Who stuck around they haven't done anything to impress us yet right 
obviously we have our favorites like Ferraro like we love the kid on the team he has a big personality but he doesn't have a huge impact on the ice um you know we're I don't want to say stuck but we're stuck with Blasic like uh, we lost our biggest star, and that's what everyone's focusing on. They don't have Carlson anymore. This team's going to be the absolute worst, and this and that. It's like, you don't, do you know that for a fact? <laughs> you know, like, we don't have high hopes for the team, but I also don't like hearing that my team's going to be the worst in the league. <laughs> I'm fine hearing that my team's going to be the worst in the league because we're the, they're the, we're the projected favorite to get the first overall pick. Yeah, but... Draft. So, but, well, but I do understand what you're saying that if like other people are saying that your team sucks, it's like, but you don't actually know what we're doing. <laughs> so you don't get to tell us we suck. <laughs> yeah. Nobody pays attention to the Sharks like ever, yeah. even when they're good. Uh, and well, think- they were, f- they were following us when we were good. They were projecting us for quite some time in like the 2010 through... Even before that, like there was a good decade where everyone was talking about the Sharks to be projected as the Stanley Cup winner. And now really? it's... T- that must yes. have been nice. Yes. That must have been nice. I have but, never known a time. But, I mean, it's not as bad as the Leafs. Like, <laughs> yes, we were being told that we're, we choke in the playoffs, but it was not a, nearly as bad as the Leafs. Like, we were able to make it out of the first round. Um <laughs> But Slight it's like, a, yeah, but we could never get to the cup final year after year of being like, well, San Jose's good to go. They're, they're our favorite to win the cup and then we don't win the cup. And it's after a while, it's like, I'm tired of talking about San Jose getting the cup because they apparently don't want it. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't think I want the Sharks to be dead last because we saw this past draft, as an example, the Ducks were last and they ended up picking third. So the, just because the odds are higher doesn't necessarily mean that we'll get first overall pick, you know? I think that would probably piss me off so much. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, as long as they're worst three worst of the like i don't think we're gonna be dead last i think like i mean yeah like going back to what we were laughing about where the yeah everything is a big question mark because the team has changed so much that it's hard to know like even during preseason i was just trying to focus on one or two players and everything like that because if you try to watch it as a whole it's horrendous like (laughs) Obviously, these guys have been, what, practicing, like, several times during the week, and they're like, yeah, let's go with that line for this preseason. Like, you can't you can't build up adequate chemistry when you're constantly just shuffling guys around. Just That's because that's what preseason is about. You're trying to figure out, okay, who, who am I going to have come to training camp and to make the team and, like, all this stuff, and then who is not quite ready to um does it have the tools necessary that if they even if they aren't jiving with some guys right now they have the potential to be moved around and still be able to make an impact at the nhl level and then the other guys that need to work on more things and just like finding the guy that they can play well with 
then they got to go down to the AHL or go back to their juniors and things like that. So I was trying to just focus in on, you know, our up and coming who, um, who should be making the roster like an Eklund, like a Bordalo, um, interested to see, you know, our AHL goalies just cause we got rid of what, two or three of them last season. Mm-hmm. Um, and we picked up a couple more or, you know, the ones that were in our system are coming up now. So, because, Goaltending for us, um, Kockinen's on a one-year. He's got one year left on his contract. Uh, Mackenzie Blackwood's got two. Like, I'm mostly leaning more towards Kockinen out of the two. Just, I like his <laughs> vibes better. I can't say that at this time one is better than the other. Obviously, Blackwood had a lot, um, actually both of them kind of had, um, for Cockenham with the Wild and then for Mackenzie Blackwood with the Devils, they were kind of seen as like, we would like you to take over the crease. And they never kind of rose to that occasion. So these are kind of like trays that are made to just move players around just to to change it up. So I can't say one is necessarily more suited for this situation with the Sharks than the other. But in terms of looking towards the future, I'm I have more hopes and ambitions for our up and coming goaltenders. Like yeah. in our two to three year transition, like who is gonna be the one that's gonna be here for the fifth year moving forward mm-hmm. i want to go back and talk about chemistry on this team um i was able to catch maybe two or three of the preseason games and one of them where they played the kid line the first preseason game that musty played uh it was a line of quinton musty who was a 26 overall pick in this this past draft uh William Eklund and Thomas Bordalo. That line was so much fun to watch. Uh, I was able to catch like half of the second and the third period, and they were able to put up a, a really, really, really nice play and score on. Um, who are they playing against? The Kings. Sure. I can't even remember. I can't even remember what team they're playing against, but like Eklund is looking like he, you know, the the player that we've all been excited to watch. Uh, Bordalo seems like he does well, like he has really good chemistry with Eklund, so they were able to connect for that goal, um, and Musty is so fast, like obviously he still needs a couple years to develop, but he was working really well with that um, with that line, and they're passing they were connecting almost every time, you know, they're really fast and it's, it's the most excited I've been in a while <laughs> for this team I'm hoping we can start seeing this a little bit uh, sooner rather than later. I don't want to wait another three years to be able to watch these guys play, you know? <laughs> I want to say that we could probably see that line in, like, the next two years. Like, obviously, Musty's going down to the juniors, which he should. And then 
you know, depending on how all that goes, I mean, I don't know how many years before he will find himself maybe in the AHL or, you know, on, on the big club. But that that's definitely a line that I'm also looking forward to for the future. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just taking a look at our... I want to talk about Henry Thrun because in on our last episode we were just kind of looking down the line on cap friendly about our defense and he's not currently up with the sharks in terms of what i'm looking at with contracts and stuff um Mm -hmm. for for the club he's down with the ahl which um they did send down um i'm gonna try to say his name Mukamadulin? Mukamadulin, I think. Mukamadulin, okay. So I think that's fair to send him down just because right now we have, you know, we've we've got a lot of defense while they're not ones that are like, I don't think that they're going to be here long term. But currently, um, he's still, I, I, I just... I think it's a good idea to have Eklund and Bordalo up with the club because they've spent the last couple of years developing and things like that, and that's just the same sort of feeling that I have with uh, Majulan because he doesn't really need to be up with the big club right now. We're not going anywhere. At some point, there can be injuries, and he can come up and kind of, you know, get more of a feeling for... Um, for the NHL level, but he doesn't need to, like, I don't have a strong desire to see him playing 82 games with, with the Sharks right now. Yeah. There's really no point. And, you know, the the Barracuda made a number of changes to, you know, to their roster. Um, so it's just going to be a really good opportunity for him to get a full season with the Cuda. Um, but going back to Henry Thrun, like, I'm excited really for liked, him. I'm yeah. I'm really. I really liked what I saw with him getting time, like on the first power play unit um, during preseason. Obviously, the big one of the other big question marks for the Sharks is our defense with Eric Carlson being gone. Like, how? Like, who's gonna be able to step up to that plate? Or are they gonna go with like a five forward unit? Like, obviously, they were playing around with all kinds of combinations during the preseason and they'll probably take a lot of those over into you know to start out um, with upcoming regular season this week but I'd imagine it's going to change from week to week throughout this whole season and I'm totally fine with that and but he, him, and uh, Mukamadulin were the two that were getting me excited. Yeah. And yeah. Once you know, uh, we picked up another defenseman off waivers, so now it feels like Thrun is questionable to make the team. Yeah. Be- because I don't know. It- like I read an article, and I can't remember who wrote it. it probably Shang, because I <laughs> I only read his and. I think his name is Max Miller, who does for the Hockey News. Um, one of the two 
talked about Greer's plans and and why he keeps like signing players and bringing them in, even though they're they, like it's more of prove it contracts and stuff. And he basically said that he wants to make it more competitive for for the young guns. Like it should not be easy to make the NHL team. Like it has been for the past few seasons before he came in. You know, there was one year where there were like twenty something players from from Bakuda that made their NHL debuts and he was like it should not be easy to make this team I want to make it competitive uh we're gonna take our time developing these players you know that which is why it's taking so long for Eklund to come up in Bordalo and Bordalo I still don't even know if he's gonna make it full-time I think right now he'll make the team until Couture can make it back when he's healthy and then then he's questionable right like um he's I don't feel like he's fully ready to be an NHLer. I think he still has some developing to do. I think Eklund is more ahead of him on that front. But it feels like to me it feels like this is the right way to go, right? Like yes, we're excited to see the young players play, but also they need their time to develop to get to that level. So Yeah, I I agree as well with Bordalo. Like he I feel much better with where he's at than he was the previous year and then definitely when he got brought up after Michigan closed out their season. Um, I'll reiterate what I said last time um, when we were talking about Bortolo last season. I just felt like he was three steps behind like he just needs to be a little bit quicker like just some of his like moves it's like the guy already saw that you were gonna do it Mm -hmm. and the speed in which you did it is not quick enough for the nhl but he's there and i like what he's doing it's just stuff was getting picked off he just was not as in sync with where he needs to be to be competitive with the nhl and during this preseason, obviously, like, teams are not playing their top guys and things like that, so it's a little bit harder to kind of, like, gauge if he's at that speed that he needs to be. But it did seem like he was maybe a step, a step and a half away from, yes, this will be productive and good at the NHL level. So, yeah, I do agree that I think he's going to make the team, but... Whether he's going to stay up the whole time, it's really just going to be dependent on those things that we were just talking about. Like, he obviously has chemistry with Eklund, but if Eklund can't be, I don't, actually, I don't even see either one of them being on the same line with each other. Because Eklund does need the support of the veteran guys. Mm -hmm. Um, If anything, maybe they find themselves both on the third line, fourth line, but... I would honestly like Eklund to play like on the second line or maybe the first, but I think second line would be great with some strong veterans helping him out. Yeah, I think eventually him playing on the line with Hurdle could be like really fun. Yeah, mm-hmm. but yeah, he's too new. He's too fresh. He needs yeah, to, he yeah, that's fresh. that's a bit much. That's a bit much. <laughs> if he finds himself just randomly on there, that'll be exciting. But. Let's not put all that pressure on <laughs> poor little Eklund to play first line minutes. Like he'll get just as much of a great experience and and learn as he goes on on the second or third line. Yes. Okay. Enough about the sharks, because 
We could go on and on with these guys. What's next on our agenda here? Projected NHL teams for for where they are uh, to project them for this season and and for the cup. Um, I agree with with the the cup favorites being the Hurricanes and the Oilers. Whether they'll actually get there, I was I was listening to some other podcast. I can't remember which one it is right now, so I don't want to like put any of their out there. But they had mentioned that the Hurricanes kind of have a conference final curse in a way where they just can't seem to get over that hump. Mm-hmm. And then the Oilers are just kind of a grab bag of like, I don't doubt that they're going to make the playoffs, but year after year after year, they are constantly relying on Connor McDavid and, and Leon Dreisaitl. Yeah. And last season, they picked up uh, Campbell for God knows what reasons, and he ended up being the backup to Stuart Skinner, I'm a, I'm a fan of Stuart Skinner. He obviously is on a good team that while they do have defense problems, they can score. <laughs> so, uh, and and he has the potential to be a starter, but whether he'd be able to do that on like a team that wasn't so, you know, that does not have a, a, a Connor McDavid um, or Leon Dreisaitl, that is left to be determined. But the fact that they picked up Campbell and then he had a rough start and then they're like, you know what? We're not even going to deal with you. We don't have time. Like they are at that point where they're like, we cannot mess around. You have like the, the, what do you call it? The, the leash is incredibly short. <laughs> um, so whether the Oilers can find their right chemistry and not rely so much on McDavid to be determined. Yeah, I don't keep up with the Canes, so I, I have no opinion on this. I agree with, with the Oilers. It's always like, yeah, they have two of the best players in the league, but what else do you have? <laughs> like, do you have what it takes to win a, a Stanley Cup, really? Um, I, I agree with the Cup contenders, um, which is... The New York Rangers, um, Dallas Stars, Toronto Maple Leafs, the Avalanche, the Golden Knights, the Devils, and then the Bruins. I need the Devils to make it to the Eastern Conference Final for the Sharks' sake. (laughs) So we can get another first-round draft pick, because why not? I would say out of those, I'm more confident... And I mean, obviously, I feel like all of them are going to make it in, into the playoffs. But the ones that I feel more comfortable going into the playoffs at this moment are the Devils, the Dallas Stars, and unfortunately, the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, I'm a little, I am i don't know about the Avs, just because, again, they're going to go another season without Landis Gog. Um I mean, obviously, they have Kale McCarr, they have Devontae's, they have um, Rantanen. McKinnon. You know, they have a lot of great talent, but we saw what happened in, in the first round. You know, they had, I mean, obviously, um, the season before that when they won the, 
the cup, they had uh, Nazim Kadri, and that was a huge problem when you know he went off and got another contract and went to the Flames. I mean, obviously they weren't going to keep him, um, but it ended up causing problems with their ability to be consistent for the next season to stay competitive. Um, and then the Bruins have made a number of changes. Obviously, uh, Bergeron's retired. And what, is, what was the thing that they, in the other graphic, center depth. Ah. Yeah, so we all know about the center depth. We have that problem. On terms of, uh, on top of the everything that we have problems with, we, we're very familiar with center depth problems. Mm. <laughs> um, and then the Rangers, they had a coaching change, and they moved a bunch of players as well. They moved stuff around, so obviously they have talent on, on their roster, but how that's all going to get pulled together. And then, of course, with the Leafs, well, we know what the situation is with the Leafs. <laughs> They're a good team. <laughs> the, the Leafs against the Leafs. <laughs> yeah, always. Uh, playoff caliber, like, do we want to go through all this? I don't know. It, like, it, it makes sense. You know, the Penguins, they have high expectations now that they have Carlson and um, they're trying to get Crosby and Malkin and all them another cup before they all retire because they're getting, they're getting to hockey grandpa age. <laughs> I mean, all those guys in the playoff caliber um, row, they're all kind of in flux. There's a, there's a lot of moving parts and they haven't had the best success um in the last couple of seasons so i yeah so like you said i think it makes sense to kind of put them that they have the potential they just kind of need to show it mm-hmm. um I'm, the insiders i'm like, upset okay, to see okay. the kings up there <laughs> they're ahead of the insiders i mean like i i mean they made the they made the playoffs last season i know i'm upset because the sharks are so low right now and anaheim is like right there with them like why do the kings have to be the ones that came out of it first i mean but the kings have been going through their (laughs) rebuild like much longer uh during our time of denial yeah so i think the timeline kind of makes sense for them whether i mean it's not great because they're obviously um what we saw recently with um who are we talking about the goalie yeah cal peterson peterson right peterson yeah take out the other t um (laughs) yeah peterson like that was gonna be their next jonathan quick and last season just they were like you know what done with both of you get out (laughs) yeah (laughs) and then he recently got put on waivers for i don't remember oh the flyers Mm-hmm. So, if you can't crack the Flyers lineup, something wrong. Yeah, poor guy. Um, How do you feel about the Kraken being on the outside after they made their um, their franchise debut in the playoffs and made it through to, to the first the, round? Yeah, I think it makes sense because it's it's only their what third season coming up. They're, yes. they're only coming into their third season. It, people probably feel it was like a fluke for them to get in in the first place. So this is kind of a, a season for them to prove themselves like it wasn't a fluke. Like we're we're a good team, you know. So, yeah, on the outside, it makes sense. I don't really know what's going on with the Preds. I would have assumed the, the 
uh, what's the, the Buffalo team? Sabres. Yes, thank you. I forgot their name. <laughs> the, the Sabres. I would have thought they would be higher. I feel like they're up and coming too with their. With yeah, their team. I think there's. I think they're like even more to prove than the insiders and the the ones that have the potential to make the playoffs. Just because they're such a young team, now it's like okay, you've kind of established yourselves. Now you have to kind of take that next step to now can you sustain yourself throughout the cup? Yeah, I'm actually kind of surprised that. Arizona is up in long shots and not down with lottery contenders. Like, didn't they suck Wait, which last one? Who? Arizona, the Coyotes. Yeah, but they're also a, a young. They're so they're a young team, and they've been making all kinds of moves. So I, pay I think though. that like, I think they have just from what I've been kind of seeing. Like, people feel like they're in a state now where they can kind of start looking at how do they take that next step to get into the playoffs and less of like them being the quote unquote loan shark where they're going to be looking to grab all your, your guys and to just to meet like the, the salary floor. I think they're transitioning out of that mindset. (laughs) I think that's where they're at uh, for the franchise now. I guess. Plus, they got Logan Cooley coming in. And mm-hmm. He seems like he's going to be a fun player to watch this season, too. Um, all of the lottery contenders make sense. But speaking of Lone Sharks... <laughs> yes! The lottery favorite. I've never won the lottery, but I want to! <laughs> I would love to... Okay, Obviously, this is way too soon to talk about, but we've already talked about it in our little Discord chat with Nate, um, how the the kid who's projected to go first overall next year for the draft, um, what's his name? Celebrini. Brini, yes. Celebrini. Macklin he, he? Who does he play for right now? B... Oh, I'm going to... I don't want to anger any Boston people. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, so oh yeah, Boston. Boston College. You better be right, or I'm gonna have to edit that out. <laughs> University. See, that's why I didn't want to say anything. Boston University. <laughs> okay, so he plays currently for Boston University. He is from the Bay Area. He used to be a Junior Shark. He played for the Junior Sharks. He's originally from Vancouver. Why was he here? Huh, curious. Okay. So he used to play for the Junior Sharks. I think his I think it has something to do with well, I'm not going to I'm not going to say anything. I was trying to look into the history mm-hmm. of how he found himself here and I don't want to say it was like anything related to development it cuz it could have been that or related to his parents. Oh, but he's originally parents. from born in born from in Vancouver. From Vancouver. Played for the Junior Sharks, is currently playing for Boston University. So, okay. <laughs> this is, so this is us joking about it. But, like, imagine a former Junior Shark, which has only happened once ever in the Sharks history, drafting a former sh- Junior Shark, I think. I've got his bobblehead in my queue. Tennyson? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mike Greer is a Boston guy, and he loves Boston guys. 
He drafted uh, Will Smith, we assume, because he was he committed to Boston College, right? Not university. It's Boston <laughs> College that that he plays for. Yeah. Will Smith plays for Boston College. Macklin Celebrini plays yeah. for Boston University. When <laughs> when Greer decided to pick his team to come out and work for the Sharks, all Boston dudes coming in, whether they went to school there or they're from there, whatever it was, there's a connection with Boston. And so, Junior Shark... Currently in Boston, it makes sense. Mike Greer, beautiful. I would love it. I mean, it's almost like it just needs to happen. It's like meant like, to be. How right? do we manifest this? <laughs> what do we need to do to make this happen? Because it'd be like a Cinderella story for Mike Greer to be able to to draft Macklin Celebrity. <laughs> First overall. It just it just makes sense. This is us manifesting it. <laughs> All right, um, some NHL news. I guess, what did, like, uh, Batman had, like, a meeting of some sort, press conference, who knows? Says there's no plans for expansion or nothing, but there are some markets that are interested. So I'm curious, your opinion, where would you want to see a new franchise pop up? I think Portland would be a good one. See, so I, I have Portland... Like, that was the first thing that popped up in my head when you said that, but then I, I had a pause because I was trying to remember. I saw someone suggested that, and I couldn't remember which sport it was. And the one that, now that it, now that I'm remembering it, it was because of the WNBA, and they were yeah. talking about another place. I mean, I think it would make sense. I mean, I'm not too familiar with the area of Portland in terms of, obviously, I've seen... There's obviously, like, beer leagues out in, like, Portland. I don't really know the history of any hockey teams. I mean, yeah, well, there's the, the Portland Winterhawks. I'm not sure exactly where they play. So, you know, there's interest there. And, yeah. <laughs> Houston. Houston would be Why a good not? one, too. Cause yes. that, I mean, a big old state like Texas only has one hockey team. <laughs> um. Yeah, people want Atlanta to get their their team back. Of course, people talking about Quebec City, right? Or is it just it? Yeah, Quebec. Somewhere Quebec, Quebec has been been going on and on about how <laughs> yeah. they how they want a team there. Yeah, yeah. Um, another team in Canada could make sense because they only have a handful, <laughs> but. I don't know. The well, a handful of NHL teams. Yes. They have yes. plethora. You're right. <laughs> there. Right. NHL teams. I don't know. Um, my two would probably be Portland and Houston. But yeah. I would say the same. They Maybe also... Utah, since they had the Sharks playing there recently. Oh, Salt Lake with, City. With the Kings. Yep. Yeah. You're right. That would be a good one, too. The divisions would have to, like, realign themselves again, but... Okay, and they, he also announced that there is a projection of a salary cap bump between 87 to 88 million for 2024 to 25 next year, which is a big jump from, I think the cap right now is currently at 81 million, uh, which could help. Do you think with that salary bump, do you think Austin Matthews stays in 
Toronto? I think it depends what happens in the playoffs this year. Like, he could. He wants to say goodbye. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Get some Leafs fans mad. Uh, Leafs fans stay mad. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, it could be fun for the Sharks to be able to play around with that cap space. Please, no long-term contract for aging players. None of those. None of those. (laughs) No, thank you. We're so close to being out of that hole. (laughs) Just so close. Um, And then one other thing that was talked about was... Something everyone's talked about already, kind of upsetting the way they phrase things, but the NHL, oh, on ESPN.com, Ryan S. Clark reported, the NHL clarifies stance on specialty initiatives, source says. I wonder who these sources are always. I'm always curious about that. But um, last June, I want to say, they put out a memo. Is that when they announced that the... Teams weren't going to be allowed to wear the warm-up jerseys for specialty nights, and everyone was was upset about it because it's really dumb, really dumb decision. Um, they sent out an update recently because there was confusion among a handful of teams, maybe like eight teams, um, and they wanted to clarify that because basically they said that the teams. The restrictions are going to be on ice only. Um, The way it was phrased before says, quote, players shall not be put in the position of having to demonstrate or where they may be appearing to demonstrate personal support for any specialty, uh, special initiatives. A factor that may be considered in this regard includes, for example, whether a player or players is required to be in close proximity to any groups or individuals visibly or otherwise clearly associated with such special initiatives. Unquote. My gosh, tripping over my words here. Now, when I read this, we all know what this means, right? Because think about Military Appreciation Night. Think about uh, Hockey (laughs) Hockey Fights Cancer Night. Jeez. Oh. Damn, Focky. <laughs> you know, sometimes you're so upset. Focky. <laughs> um, I'm going to start calling stuff like this Focky. You know, it makes sense. <laughs> Hockey fights cancer night. Military appreciation night. Whatever other initiatives that has nothing to do with, like, imagine players trying to show their support. Oh, you're not allowed to be near any, like, in proximity with these people. It's not allowed. Do you hear how crazy that sounds? You can't show support for these people. What are you doing? That's It's going to cause problems. But will it? <laughs> we all know what this means. And it's only for queer folks and people of our community. Because people are against us for existing and all whatnot. Whatever. So, uh, the league source said that the NHL was facing qu- uh, questions about whether coaches could wear poppies on their suit jackets in order of Remembrance Day. Or if they could wear green ribbons in honor of the Humboldt Brockers. Broncos bus crash because of the whole on ice thing that they said. You're not allowed to show support on ice. Uh, So they needed clarification. And so they said that the intended purpose of the initial memo, according to the league source, was to inform teams that they cannot wear any specialty sweaters 
during the game in warm-ups or at any official practice. So even during practices, they won't be allowed to wear the jerseys. They're just not allowed to wear them anywhere near the ice, I guess. Um, the source also said that um, the only off-ice restrictions facing teams is what they can't force players to participate in events regarding the specialty causes because some players might fear retribution or embarrassment if they decide not to take part. Now that that sentence right there stood out to me when I read it. Why are you embarrassed? What What's embarrassing? This is pretty much a move to protect folks from feeling like a rhymer, like a Provorov, where how many seasons now we've been doing this and just because a couple of these guys decided, you know what, I have the privilege to stand here, still get paid, still be a bigot, I'm gonna take it upon myself to not acknowledge that that someone should exist. Yeah. So all of this is just a move, and the other things are kind of added into the mix to cover the fact that this move was made because they don't want to have to deal with the backlash of not acknowledging the existence of queer people. Right. They're not listening to the fans and what we're trying to say. Like, this is wrong. Uh, you're basically telling us we're not fully accepted in the sport. We're letting you know that we're not okay with it. And they don't want to hear it. So this is their... They're basically putting a band-aid on this, this situation where... Or even just a blindfold, you know? I don't want to look at it. This is not my problem. I don't have to deal with it. Um, it's... It's annoying. I... I don't expect anything more of the NHL at this point. I'm tired. <laughs> like This is very, very, very much expected. But we talk about it because we know what, you know, the, in the actual intentions are. What we, you know, this is a part of what we have to deal with all the time. It's It sucks, but it is what it is. We'll still be pretty loud about speaking up about it. I will say before I move on to the next thing that going back to when this was initially put out before the clarification was um, asked by multiple outlets, um, that I'm trying to see this on the on on a optimistic perspective. Obviously, it's shitty, but even with the current state before the hot mess happened last season, there were a lot of things that I enjoyed about having these nights, in particular to Pride Night, is team, there were certain teams that were taking extra steps to not only engage with the community and to reach out to someone to actually within the community to design the jersey. There were a lot of great things happening. One of the things that I wish would be the next step before all this happened was like, for instance, the San Francisco Giants, how they wore their pride jerseys for the entire game. And it's such a simple thing, too. It's just the little arm patch thingy, and then it's the you know, the rainbow um, 
colors on, um, um, you know, over the logo. It's such a simple thing, though, but it's so impactful on top of the because it's a like a four hour game. You're watching this game. You're seeing in just every single frame. Yeah. Versus something like oh, like during the warm ups, unless you're watching the pregame and unless the pregame broadcast is actually sh deciding to show it to you, unless you go to the game and see it for yourself. And this is obviously we know queer folks are going to be looking forward to that stuff and everything, but it's one part to let queer folks know that this is a place for you. It's another to allow folks who might not realize yet that they're part of the queer community, or maybe they've haven't seen something like this and it, you know, causes them to question, well, what is that? Let me learn more about that. Like, that's not something you're going to see during warmups, unless you're in those three scenarios that I already talked about. Yeah. But something going back again to the Giants, it's during their game for four hours. It's on the national broadcast yeah. or whatever it is. Yeah. Well, so I see this as, well, time for the teams to actually show us what they're about. Yeah. You've got this restriction, but that's not the end all be all. There are a plethora of other ways that you can show support for the queer community. Obviously, they can do it like not on the ice well there you go and it's only warm-ups that aren't on the ice right like there are other things you could do to, to show support that you could wear on the ice and it could be for the whole game uh like if you feel like oh my god now what do i do like just order well, order gonna... rainbow helmets i'm just kidding <laughs> that's too much no i do want to go back like even just with hockey within hockey the AHL teams are still allowed to do these, right? This is another reason you should go support your LA AHL affiliates if you're um, able to. The Barracuda. I forgot to post this in our little thingy thing to talk about. For Hispanic Heritage Month, or just to celebrate Hispanic Heritage, they're not, they're not just celebrating it one night, first of all, which is really exciting. They're doing three nights, and it's not just in one month. They're going to do one at the end of this month on the 28th of October. They're doing one in January, and I can't remember when the third one is. But they designed amazing. They got someone to design this amazing jersey for them to wear. Like, the logo, if you guys haven't seen it, like, I have been raving about it since they posted it. The logo is so detailed with, with all the little, like, Easter eggs that they hide in there. You know, it's a... It's, uh, it's Tigres del Mar, so like Tigers of the Sea. That's what the Kuda are called. Um, the helm, uh, sorry, the logo is is of a tiger, but it's also supposed to be like a goalie mask in there. And then it's wearing a headdress. It looks like just triangles. It kind of looks like a symbols of something. But it says Kuda if you look close enough to it. And like they have sugar skulls on the back and like little Kuda like actual barracuda on there with flowers and the stripes and the colors are just amazing. I love it. I love it so much. So they're doing three games where they're going to be wearing these jerseys on the ice. I'm pretty sure. Don't quote me on that. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> uh, I think I, you're right. Yeah. I 
definitely want to go. Um, they're they're gonna be handing out pins for like the first thousand fans to go to these games. Uh, they're all different designs, but they're gonna be three different pins. And then if you sign up for like the um, some ticket package where you attend all three games, then you also get a, a special uh, a jersey. So you can get one for yourself. And I'm considering it, but I'd have to dip into the savings for that. <laughs> but like. Why can't the NHL do that? It's not hard. It's so fun. Like, appreciate outside of just the one night, you know? Anyways, just just giving all kinds of amazing ideas that could really bring the, the NHL to the next level of viewership. But, you know, don't listen. It's fine. <laughs> I'm not giving you my ideas um, for free. What? <laughs> I want to just quickly note, you know, when you were talking about the little Easter egg designs and in, in, in the logo for, for this specialty jersey, that this is why you have people who are actually from that ethnic background to design these logos for you, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. not, you know, because I'm not really talking about anything in particular. I think you are, though. <laughs> I am, though. <laughs> But something that I, I like know, because there's history behind designs. Yes. Yeah. And that's what make the designs powerful and meaningful. And not just, oh, I think this is a nice aesthetic. It's so exotic. I want to culturally appropriate this and make a design and then make lots of money off of it. Yeah, that's all I want to say. <laughs> I mean, okay, if we're going to address this, I also want to say... Yeah, I wasn't going no, to. No, I just okay. want to say something. Okay. Look, <laughs> last week I put out a tweet and com- like we started getting a bunch of really hateful comments that I'm not going to repeat here. And it took a lot... Very misogynistic and... Homophobic. I saw homophobic, yeah. racist. Well, yeah, yeah. It took a lot for me to not engage with these trolls. Um, Chicago fans seem to be some of the worst in the sport. I I literally had to disengage from socials to keep away. Um, but I did turn off the comments, and I got called out in the quotes. I did go check some of them, and I'm like. I don't want to sit here all day reading all this hateful-ish, you know? But I also wanted to say that we're not trying to engage with these folks also to give them attention and, like, you know, if you engage with them, whether it's commenting, reposting, whatever, other people are going to see it. And a lot of these comments are triggering for a lot of folks in our community, and we're not trying to spread that hate either, so... If ever it happens again, we will not be addressing any of those ridiculous comments because we're trying to keep our peace here. (laughs) We don't need that. That's all. So this might be like, I'm just going to add one little note before we move on to the next thing. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine about all of this over the week and... You're allowed to have a different opinion, you know, like, it. 
within like even within the queer community we don't see eye to eye on our things and there are certain things where i'm gonna have zero negotiation on and there's a lot of people who are they are trans but they believe in the binary and that in itself means that you don't acknowledge my gender identity Mm. and there's a lot of people who believe that you cannot be trans unless you medically transition. Mm. There's a lot of privilege behind. There's there's people, regardless of whether they're non-binary, trans men, trans women, who don't medically transition. Do you even have health care that you can access to even do the transition? Like, And there's a lot of people who don't feel that it's necessary and you don't in my opinion, regardless of whether you are a binary trans person or you acknowledge non-binary people, you don't need to medically transition to validate your identity. If you don't feel that that is what is needed for your transition, it should not be required to have people acknowledge your identity. And we there and like I said, there are certain things like I just finished ranting about where I there's no negotiation for me. If you are not acknowledging my gender identity, I'm not arguing I am not allowing you to talk to me to argue argue your point. Same goes with ethnicity. I don't always see eye to eye with certain things with like even people close to me. Like, I mean, obviously there's a point where it's like no we will not allow for certain things to be acknowledged and debated on but there's certain things where it's like like a logo there are people who are fine with it that are of indigenous uh background there are people who who aren't cool with it they're all valid and stuff but the ones that i was just laughing my ass off about one, <laughs> one of them being like people assuming that we're white. Like, have you seen our channel? You probably didn't click on ours. You obviously haven't seen our channel. We are not white. Um, and on top of that, we, I saw a lot of bros. We <laughs> like, we're apparently also men. Um, we are history our ethnic backgrounds we both have intersecting experiences of having ethnic history of colonization we understand to the extent that a lot of our cultural roots have been culturally appropriated and reused by people who are typically white and they use it in a way that they feel like they're celebrating us. And we're not trying to talk over people who, in this particular situation, we're talking about indigenous people within the US and within Canada. Generally speaking, you can have discussions about whether this design you are okay with and which ones that you you are not and as i was reading some of the different viewpoints 
about this logo, I remember reading this one article from about like 10 years ago where there's this indigenous person who is within the Chicago, Illinois area, grew up, obviously this is the team that's there. So, you know, they like hot or, you know, they like hockey. But at a certain point, they stopped going to games. They're still supporting the team because I understand it's like, it's tough. Because you're like, I want to love this sport, but then there's aspects of it that I don't love. And like, you kind of have to navigate at what point is it too much for you? How long do you stick around? But this person said that they stopped going to games because with that logo, it's like a sea of floating heads. And I was like, fuck. That is disturbing. With the history that we have in this country, that is disturbing. That a person with, who, an indigenous person feels that when they go to the game. Okay. So all these people who are saying like, there's all this, it's, 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 it's uh, celebrating. There's a whole nother side of it where it's like, yeah, it's not celebrating. Yeah. That's, it's just disturbing. I also want to point out that it's only been maybe five years since the team has banned wearing headdresses to games. And I feel like this logo is, it opens up the opportunity for cultural appropriation, right? People don't take indigenous culture seriously if you're using them as mascots if you're using like these logos are caricatures of what they assume the culture is like um i read up a little bit on it because i was you know i was was trying to see like am i am i wrong in, in having this opinion because i did also see some people saying oh yeah i'm indigenous i have no problem with this logo but they didn't have a profile picture i don't know if they were actually indigenous and the wife of the, the dude who started the team or whatever is the one who designed it originally. Like, and that doesn't sit well with me, right? Like, this is a white lady drawing what she thinks Black Hawk looked like, I guess. And then I went down another little rabbit hole on a Reddit, um, Reddit thread. And someone of indigenous background was explaining that, you know, there's the things wrong with the logo, how they're not accurate because the markings that they have on the face are from one tribe. The, I think the feathers or something are from another tribe. And it's just like the way that they depict it, it's, it doesn't make any sense because it's not the tribe Blackhawk was actually from. And the actual name Blackhawk isn't even supposed to be um, honoring the actual man it the name came from some military thing that the the owner at the time who started the team was was trying to honor so it, it's like it makes no sense it is a lot of hoops that people are going to justify this logo and at the end of the day i keep going back to obviously a lot of the folks who are affected by the logo to decide how they feel about it and as we've already discussed there is 
arguments coming from, hey, doesn't really bother me, I'm fine with it, to hey, it is actually really disturbing to me. And I, like I said, I think it goes beyond just this ethnic background, going back to what I talked about, how, you know, even though I'm Filipino and Chinese and you're Salvadorian, we have a lot of intersections in our cultural history that we can um, relate to one another with going back to colonization like that has a lot of trauma and even though you are not directly affected it still comes down through the family history there's a lot of like indigenous roots that I wanted to talk about in a little bit that I've learned with just talking to my mom this past week that it does bother me that I don't know about that part of myself so there is a bit of a, a identity crisis at times for me where it's like I say oh yeah of course I'm Filipino and Chinese but well, like what does that actually mean because yeah. just being Filipino and just being Chinese they're just it's not a it there there's there's they're far more intricate than just those labels alone and for somebody who does not experience that when you're just like oh well yeah that's a Chinese person and then you can just like go on with your day it's like for me I'm like oh but what part of China is your family from because China's bad yeah it's huge so you know it's like even though if you're Chinese like it could also mean you know like if you're saying someone is Chinese you could actually be like offending someone if they're actually from Taiwan mm -hmm. you know so it's like things like that that I think about that I feel like some of the comments that we were getting it's like you don't even know what you're even talking about yeah. like anyways but let's move on yes let's talk about <laughs> Filipino um, history wait yes you tell me what you learned about Filipino people okay so just a very little I'm um, I've mentioned before, I grew up in a in a suburbs out here in Hercules where there's a lot of Filipino families. I had a lot of Filipino friends growing up. Um, and so I'm somewhat familiar with the culture, right? I wouldn't say I'm an expert or anything, no. <laughs> but I do know, like, certain foods. Nessa won't be drawing any uh, Filipino well, logos anytime I soon. I will not. And making tons of money off I of it. I will never <laughs> attempt. <laughs> I will, however enjoy some of Filipino foods. <laughs> you know, there's some days where I'm like, yeah, I'm feeling some chicken adobo today. <laughs> um, okay, so Filipino peoples from Philippines, the oh my God, from the Philippines were some of the first people to come to California. I think I've mentioned this in the previous podcast episode. What I didn't know was that they came through i believe the bay area so san francisco and they sort of settled in san francisco to to go work in other parts of like northern california where um oh yes they worked in uh fields uh as farmers in san joaquin sacramento valley uh they i didn't know that they were basically most of the farmers out here first you know uh that's something new that i learned um because they came in through San Francisco, it's where they settled first. And they had a, a what was called Manila Town in Soma, so south of Market. 
uh, or Central City, a bachelor community that later, that later became Manila Town. Um, eventually, you know, with gentrification and stuff, they did end up getting kicked out of there or they moved on. Uh, but that's where a lot of Filipino families started settling in Daly City. And Daly City actually has probably the biggest Filipino population in the entire country, um, which makes up roughly 40.7% of its population, like in the actual city. And, okay, I don't know if you've ever heard this joke. I, it doesn't come from me. I've heard this from Filipino folks, okay? <laughs> Where, did you know that the reason Daly City is so foggy is because of all of the rice cookers? <laughs> No, I've not heard that. <laughs> it's just like one of those wow <laughs> dad jokes. But yeah, so Daly City has the highest concentration of Filipino Americans in the United States. It is known as the Pinoy capital of the United States with Filipino culture and small businesses in full display. Uh, I learned this through a Instagram post from Coast. My God, I can't talk today. I learned this from a post off of Instagram called Cut Fruit Collective. So, all credits to them for posting this. Um, it says, Meanwhile in SF, the Soma Filipinas Filipino Heritage District is actively attempting to reverse erasure and revive the Filipino community in the neighborhood. Through their many place-making activities, they celebrate the cultural and artistic expressions of Filipinos in the Bay. Projects include ethno tours, the Flores de Mayo parade, Barang I'm gonna butcher these words. I'm so sorry. I don't speak Tagalog. Barangay Center and more. Partnerships with cultural arts organizations such as Cultivate with a K Labs, uh, activate the neighborhood and cultural markets and arts programming. So it sounds like they're trying to bring a lot of that culture back into into the forefront of of Bay Area culture and stuff. Um, but yeah. That's what I learned for Filipino History Month, right? Yeah. I'm happy that you learned something. <laughs> um, some of that I was pretty familiar with, and others I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, so as I was telling you earlier, I, I asked my mom what our ethnic background is because, um, yeah, it's just been something that I've wanted to know a little deeper and in detail about I mean obviously I've known since I was very little that I have Chinese roots I have Filipino roots I've been to the Philippines multiple times I haven't really been to China mostly because even my dad's side my dad was born and raised in the Philippines and uh, my grandparents um, according to my mom I believe that they also had settled there prior to that so generations have been in the philippines on my dad's side for a while so i know that on my chinese side we are predominantly cantonese um my my family speaks both pr uh, primary um dialects but the one that i remember the most growing up is cantonese and cantonese is primarily from the area of hong kong mm -hmm. Um, and then on my mom's dad's side is Filipino and Spain. So that, I, as I was talking to you, was a bit of like a, oh my God, mm -hmm. like 
just to kind of have it be a little more solidified because i mean obviously i under i know that the philippines was colonized by spain for like 300 years so there's a lot of in that time there's a potential that there's mixing and and things like that but even going back to before spain um came in and you know, started kicking things around. Um, <laughs> um, just respecting its surroundings. You know, <laughs> disrespecting everything. Um, there's a whole um, history, a whole indigenous history of the Philippines that is the thing that I wish I knew more about because even going to like the the gender and sexuality side of things like even our even the even within Tagalog I learned that they're they only use a gender neutral pronoun um siya yeah and I don't speak Tagalog so that was that was why I was most like shocked when I found out because everything is like I hear certain things and like I know what they're talking about but like the the framing of the language is something that I never really knew. And then obviously there's the influences from Spain that make things gendered. Mm -hmm. Things like, you know, older brother and older sister. Um, and like other aspects, like I called my, my grandmother growing up, I called her Lola. I never got to meet my Lolo, but I understood that these are certain words and I didn't realize that those were influences of Spain. So, and then I also learned that it makes sense because obviously my background being Chinese and Filipino, there was a influx of Chinese Filipinos. And that's a whole part of Filipino history that I didn't really realize was a thing. So that's kind of like <laughs> really got me wanting to learn more and more about it. But it also is a little bit heartbreaking that a lot of our culture has been wiped out yeah. because of colonization yeah i feel this the exact same way like with with my roots because again you mentioned being latina um you know we were colonized from by spaniards as well which is why we speak spanish in latin america um i can hear elena like apologizing <laughs> in the background to us. <laughs> little voice <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like you know those 23 and me things where you you can find out where your like where your roots come from i want to know what indigenous tribes my family comes from you know like i want to learn about the history there but we don't get the privilege of knowing history because our history was wiped out with with the colonization you know when when those folks decided to come and ruin everything here and genocide almost everyone so like I, the way I identify, you know, I say I'm Latina, which, sure, but I feel like I have a more of a connection with the indigenous side than I do with the Spanish side, even though I speak Spanish and, you know, I'm pale skin or whatever it is. And it's more so because of the way that, mostly on my dad's side, how we've come and there's certain things that, like, practices we do on the spiritual side that it's very connected to, you know, what my, my great-grandma used to practice and 
even though the spirituality itself comes from um, Africa, I feel like there's certain parts of it that that intertwines with practices from the indigenous folks in their cultures. Um, and like even just learning about the the Native Americans from here in, in the U.S., you know, there's certain things there where I, I kind of feel connection to for some reason with, with certain certain practices that they do, you know, when I'm learning about their history, it's like, yeah, I can see that because, you know, there's still indigenous folks in El Salvador. They're, the tribe is called um, Pipil, and I'm pretty sure they speak Nahuatl, which is one of the, the few uh, languages that have survived um, colonization. And, you know, it's also spoken in Mexico. The Aztecs used to speak it, but some Mayans did as well. And... I don't know. It's like one of those things where I'm just so drawn to it. Like I want to learn how to speak that language. I want to learn more about these, these certain tribes and these these indigenous uh, customs and things. You know, I was actually uh, starting to rewatch, or I went back to watch uh, Reservation Dogs. Have you heard of of that show? Mm-hmm. It follows a bunch of kids. If you don't know it, anyone listening follows a bunch of kids who lives in a reser- reservation in Oklahoma and. You know, obviously they're talking about certain um, practices that they do, and I was surprised there was an episode I was watching last night that really made me cry because they were talking about, you know, how the ancestors are always walking with you and and stuff. And, you know, that's something that my family is always talking about, um, you know, with the spirituality thing. You know, the ancestors are always watching over you. If you need help, you can ask for help and all this. And for some reason, it really hit me hard. Um, as a segue though, uh, Elena sent this, this, um, about, I don't know if it's a short film or an, no, I think it's a short film. It's going to be on Disney plus for their launch pad thing that they do. So it's called, so I'm pretty sure it's called the roof. Um, the director posted, a leaky roof and the truth after being sent to stay with their grandfather a northern cheyenne teen discovers a connection to their family and community in a way they never thought possible i think it's already on disney plus because it says september 29th whoops okay so something i need to watch and it's basically following this this teenager who is confused about their identity um talks to his grand or their grandpa finds out that their grandma was actually Two-Spirit. And so, you know, this teen is finding out, oh, I'm Two-Spirit, and kind of going through, like, learning about what that is and, and kind of coming into terms with that and accepting that's who they are. And also learning that, oh, someone else in my family was too. So, you know, Two-Spirit is not something that we usually talk about because we don't know too much about it. I, I, don't, I, don't, have, I don't have any indigenous friends to... And I don't go out of my way to, to research it because I like to learn from people's experiences more than online stuff. Um, so I don't want to speak on things that I'm not fully informed on. But Two-Spirit is also a, from what I know, it's also one of those genderless sort of identities people. and it, But it's more spiritual than that, which is why it's only... Um, indigenous folks who can identify as two-spirit it's it's more so with with whatever they're dealing with spiritually than it is actual uh, gender identity so from what i know 
I hope I explained that okay. <laughs> yeah, there's that's also something that I um, watched a documentary about in relation to the Philippines and, you know, the indigenous roots and how, you know, what you're talking about in terms of two-spirit, acknowledging, you know, non-binary, just things that are a mixture of the gender or void of gender. And that's something that kind of gets wiped out when you have colonization history and how they start bringing in their influences and their religion and things like that like we could even reference like how canada has their history with the first nations and the the residential schools yeah like that's all they're trying that happened here in the u.s too yeah yeah like they all got their different names but they all kind of follow the same sort of pattern of they're seeing these in the with on any within any country they're seeing this as like oh these people are uncivilized they need to be you know they need to be taught they need to be taught in our ways so that you know they can stop being you know quote unquote savages and however it happens in any of these um in these histories they all kind of follow the same pattern of they're trying to wipe out that cultural identity those ways of life that there's nothing wrong with it it's just people see it as something to be fixed and then we find ourselves in this situation where we're trying to track our uh track our roots and as something as far back as over 300 years with with the philippines it's like even i wanted to mention even those things with like 23 and me it's like those tests or those databases are built from other people like you obviously have to expand on it by more and more people submitting their dn their dna or whatever it is um that they're using to tell you what your cultural background is but after generation after generation of it being you know you're mixing or more of that stuff goes away it's like it's like how many of those people are still alive to actually, you know, track track that stuff down. Mm-hmm. <sighs> wow, what an interesting episode this turned out to be, huh? <laughs> well, let's end on a positive note. I mean, not that any of that stuff isn't like, you know, educational and stuff, but it is kind of uh, yeah, it's stuff that I think about from time to time. And it's frustrating <laughs> to you know learn about it but then it just oh like i love learning about it but then it opens up more doors has i end up having more questions than when i started out yeah yeah so it was announced the other day that the bay area is getting a WNBA team and it's about freaking time and what perfect timing that i got into watching the WNBA last season and it took a lot of courage for me to follow an L.A. team, but I did it. <laughs> You're so brave. I am brave. I'm so brave. I mostly picked it because of Laisha Clarendon, non-binary person, playing on that team. So, But generally, I was like, let's support all of the WNBA. But in particular, I think I'm going to follow this team. And... The moment I picked that, I was also like, but damn, I wish we would get a Bay Area team. So 
Like, you manifested this. I did. This is all you did. So I'll thank Jay for this. <laughs> yeah. So this kind of comes. I don't really know how it works, but apparently the warriors had been working on kind of bringing this to the table and saying, you know, hey, let's bring, you know, a women's team to this area. Here's all our support, like blah blah blah, and. You know, one thing led to another, and the, NBA, uh, the WNBA is deciding, yes, we're going to start expanding again, and the first team in the next expansion is going to be for the Bay Area. Is it just this one? I thought that they, they announced two teams. They, I believe they have plans to, to bring Portland. a team to Portland, but I'm not sure off the top of my head if that was, like, official, but... Oh. The Bay Area is official. Okay. So, more women's sports in the Bay Area. How exciting. Yep. More yep. reason to stay here. I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. What a long episode. I feel yeah. like this was, this was a good one. Yeah. Some sports, some more serious topics. Dude, we went and we had some history lessons in here. <laughs> so, to close it out... I'm going to use a phrase that I learned this past week as I watched the season two finale of uh, Philippines Drag Race, which had not one, not two, but three trans women competing. There are two trans women on the judges panel, and then there was one non-binary person. So it just like, I had so much love throughout the whole. And I just, I particularly love watching the drag race seasons that happen in like other countries because of all the cultural related stuff. Like, yeah, you know, the main one that's in the US, that one's fun, but I've just become engrossed in like the ones that are happening. Like I watched the one that was done in like Mexico. There was one that was done in France, which I got obsessed with because there was a drag queen, Lolita Banana, who is originally from Mexico. I love their names. but. She, like, has been in a relationship um, with somebody who is from France and moved over there some time ago, um, speaks French, which is, like, blowing my mind. It's like a Mexican person speaking French. Like, I have this friend that I met when I was traveling through, through Europe. He's ethnically Vietnamese, but, I mean, Vietnam has a whole col uh, colonization-related history as well, tied in with France. So his family, um, he was born and raised in France. And when I met him in Greece, there was a moment where we were just kind of staring at him like, it's a Vietnamese person speaking French. <laughs> I just, like, my brain is just like... Short-circuiting. I had a similar moment where I was, when I was working at Bujin in San Francisco, there was, like, a family of Chinese folks. Pretty sure they were Chinese. And they came up, and they were speaking, like, fluent Spanish better than me. And I was like, what? It's crazy. Come to, come to find out that there is a history of, like, Chinese immigrants that went to, like, Peru or something. And we're everywhere. Different, we're everywhere. Different, different countries in Latin America, but... They they have like little, little like um, pockets in each city where like they like to to stay. I think there might be one in El Salvador too, but this is something that I just recently, within like the last ten years, learned. 
Um, so that like it's so it's something you don't really think about until you see it, you know. Mm-hmm. Just, your brain's yeah, the, like, wait. <laughs> for the Philippines, I learned "maraning maraning salamat po," which is "thank you very much." So "maraning maraning salamat po." For listening to this podcast. <laughs> oh, should I say muchas gracias? There you go. Two okay. <laughs> I don't right. know how to say podcast in Spanish, but all right. I don't know how to say podcast either. So, okay. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.